Thank you so much for inviting me to this very important conversation, Philip. My name is Shawana Vaughn and I'm the director of Silent Cry. And what brought me here was my own lived experience, um, my own legacy, family legacy of trauma. And so out of, out of my Silent Cries, Silent Cry was created to address mass incarceration, foster care and gun violence. Absolutely. My name is uh, Harry Brock Whitman. Um, I'm the co-founder of the Washington Reentry and Entrepreneurship Program. And I'm not proud to admit that I've spent too much of my life trying to increase the revenue for criminal enterprises, which has resulted in my being incarcerated in jails and prisons all over the country. The experience I have I've accumulated in various facilities from Cook County Jail in Chicago to Administrative Max in Colorado understandably has given me an opportunity to observe firsthand an array of different administrators and organizations attempts to at impacting incarcerated individuals' successful return to the community. Unfortunately, the majority of their efforts were driven by economic not viable solutions which prompted me to action. And 
made me create the Washington Reentry and Entrepreneurship Program and a number of others that I've been uh, involved with throughout my incarceration in the state of Washington. I'm, I'm really, really uh, uh, gracious to be on, on this show today so that we can have this very, very important conversation. And my hope is that it'll uh, be heard across the country and we'll uh, implement some of the things that we're talking about today. Thank you, man. I appreciate both of y'all. Uh, this is going to be a good show because uh, this is a topic that is not talked about enough, nor is it is stressed enough about important it is uh, to so many families and people around the world. Um, this is a question. The first one I have is for both of y'all. Uh, why is reentry so important to you? What does the term mean to you personally? Either one of y'all can take that. Whoever wants to go first. Well, reentry, Philip, for me, you know, because I'm watching what the word um, has translated into, which is a catchphrase that creates buzz for money. So now it's a word I try to veer away from. Because reentry means I left somewhere, right? To reenter something means I left. And our bodies are snatched on plantations out of our habitats in our communities. But they don't really mean it because in every uh, state, in every county in this country, our bodies are counted and represented in those counties and those states on the census that's done every 10 years. So we're somewhere. And so I just don't believe that reentry is standing for what the word actually should mean. Because reentry should look like a holistic way of healing to get home and never to return again. But that's not what it does. Right. I feel you, I feel you, and, I, and you know what? The term has been used uh, across the board uh, to apply to all situations. Um, some of us feel differently about the term, and I've heard that a few times, and every time I hear it, I agree with both of the terms. Mm -hmm. and so if you never left from somewhere or you were taken from your will, you don't have to re-enter. You've always been a part of it, so I can, I can feel that. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, Brock? And uh, can you answer that same question? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover it in a, in a, in a nutshell. But I'm gonna add to that by saying this: that reentry to me is uh, more complicated, particularly for the African American community, than what appears on the surface. Because it entails more than what an individual returns to prison, affecting the recidivism rate and state and federal budgets. But in the vital, uh, um, in many ways that would require much more time than, than we have today to discuss. But just to touch somewhat, it is important to wrap incarceration in its historical modern day objectives as explicitly expressed in the U.S. Constitution, which endeavors to continue slavery in a high-tech and nuanced way 
So breaking this cycle, and with it, the trauma associated with it, and the decimation it has brought to our lives, is, in short, represents the final nail in the coffin of American legacy of the transatlantic slave trade, and starts us on the way to and our future. And so reentry is most associated with someone coming out of prison. But for me, it's also should be attached to uh, uh, people on the streets who are thinking about committing crimes. Young young people who are thinking about committing crimes and how we can turn them from going to prison. It's part of that whole reentry. Uh, 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 what would you say is the this is a um, this is a question for the two of y'all. What would you say is the sequence of programs necessary to ensure a successful transition from prison back to society? So in other words, what type of things and what type of programs do you think would help a person get out and stay out with all the tools, tools necessary to be successful? I'll, I'll, I'll take that question first. That's my... my uh wheelhouse is re-entry, uh, at, least, at least one of the most important facets of it. I think most importantly, any program must be voluntary. Most of the programs that uh, corrections across the country um, usually establish are mandatory based on um, guys' sentencing structures or something else. Their they're, they're drug problems or 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 sexual deviancy problems or what have you, the individual involved must begin with a, a receptive mindset to change. And, and number one, it must address the long-standing trauma, cognitive changes such as a return to core values, money management, i.e. Um, life management, uh, how to function successfully financially in normal society, banking, credit, etc. Transfer of skills training, uh, providing tangible job training and income insights. After release, independent housing that teaches personal uh, responsibility and discipline, totally different from the traditional transitional housing model. Reliable transportation, immediate employment with a reasonable living wage. Um, without going into detail about what rep does and what revisions that I'm making to rep proposed to do in, in the future. I think the, these are the most important facets of a, of a program that I think will keep people from coming back to prison. Uh, uh, most importantly, the making sure that they have an opportunity to, to get job skills while they're in prison and be able to make money while they're in prison. Learn how to, to establish credit, learn banking, learn business plan writing, etc. and so on. All of those skills. And then once they are released, make sure they have um, reliable housing. And when I say reliable housing is to escape from that transitional housing model that we've had in the past, it's difficult to be in a building with a whole lot of guys who have committed crimes in the past, some of whom continue to engage in criminal activity while they're in those transitional housing, and then try to um, make it yourself. 
growing. I think independent housing is extremely important. And job placement almost immediately after they get out that connects with what they were doing when they were in is extremely important. For sure. Absolutely. Um, and Brock, I, I second everything you just said. Because transitioning is hard. My first line of priority for transition is not starting when someone is 30 days or 60 or 90 days from the gate, but the day they get there, they have to be preparing to go home. And so for me, I champion mental health. We're all clear that we got to prison because of our ACEs our adverse childhood experiences and our life traumas. And until we deal with mental health and the correlation that it creates and sustains mass incarceration, for me, that's my top priority. Because even if we give you a job in a house and you're mentally unequipped, you can't maintain any of those things. So I fight with legislation um, to create mental health as a top priority the day someone's incarcerated with trauma-informed therapists, with alternatives um, to traditional therapy, with alternatives to medication, because we didn't send people to get incarcerated to be drug addicts from Pfizer and Merrick. So I believe that we absolutely need stability um, and job growth. And, and fair wages um, within the carceral system. It would, and, and the reason we don't have it because it would undo slavery. But absolutely, people have to have a living wage because people still have children and families that they take care of. And we definitely need to address housing. I think that incarcerated people coming home should have Section 8. Section 8 application should be in 36 months before release. And, and there should be um, housing that is acceptable for those who are coming out of incarceration with families and without them. And that's not afforded. But we also have to give people transferable skills that are for this century and the next century that we're going into, like green, um, solar, cryptocurrency. And those things are not being done because we don't want to give people inside technology and they can't work a smartphone when they get home and that's unacceptable so absolutely i believe that there's a lot i like that uh and i, and I speak in that because that's the reason why that's the reason why i brought you two together because i knew that there was a component of mental health and trauma that was a part of the reason why people weren't able to successfully transition. And you hit it on the nose about the technology. They still got us living in the stone ages. They don't want us to have access to certain things, even though- We have 60 seconds remaining. There's a lady, let me finish this talk. I'll come, we'll take a break and I'll come back. They have the technology to offer us the, 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 uh, the new and improved, uh, like computer, phones, uh, internet, because they have firewalls, so they can easily, you know, stop us from seeing certain things, but they're still so caught up in um, what they give us and keeping us down in these books 
instead of letting us get to the new technology. You have 30 seconds remaining. A lot of us that have been in prison as long as I have aren't able to uh, even understand oh, how to Glad you brought that point up. We're going to take a break. I'm about to call right back. Uh, we're going to get straight back to it. Uh, we got another question up coming up for Shawana. Hey, everybody. Um, I just wanted to say, go to my website, Grant Parole to Philip, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-O-L-E-T-O-P-H-I-L-L-I-P.com. And scroll down, you'll see a link to donate for my legal fees. As I'm in need of a criminal attorney, um, I also have another link to donate to my GoFundMe for mental health expenses. Thank everybody for your support. And thank everybody for the love they've been showing me. I appreciate it. And um, God willing, you know, it'll make a difference and I'll be home soon. Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to uh, uh, respond to something Shawana said before while she was doing her response. If that's okay. Yeah, go ahead, bro. Yeah, I, I, she was talking about trauma. And I remember when we first began to develop rep, trauma was one of the things, and PTSD was one of the things that we neglected to um, make a component for in rep. It wasn't until uh, we had a guest speaker, Elaine Payton, who uh, she was a federal prisoner, and she got out, got a PhD. And her wheelhouse is trauma and PTSD for prisoners. She came and spoke, and she basically said the same thing that Shawana said, that no matter what you do cognitively, no matter what programs that are established that would normally be successful, if you don't deal with the trauma that re resulted in you getting in prison, that all of that won't be worth anything. And so that's why it was important for me to hear what she had to say about that whole component of reentry, because I think that it would be important in the future, especially for rep, to, to have that component addressed. Yeah, but yeah, I appreciate that. We gotta we gotta address that. Uh, we understand, you know, how prevalent that is in our community. And we also understand that uh, when you're under stress like that, or when you're going through some type of uh, mental uh, uh, issue, uh, it makes it that much more easier for you to uh, drop the ball and end up in the same situation that you started. So we're gonna we're gonna touch some more on that because we have another question that talks about that. So Shawana, I want to ask you: Do you think reentry should entail mental health trauma-based therapy? If so, what does this look like? Oh, absolutely, I do. It looks like post-traumatic prison disorder, Shawana W76337. Because I champion mental health, um, because I champion mental health, and I don't believe that there should be another conversation in criminal justice until we declare that mental health is a state. Listen, the president of the free world just said mental health is a state of emergency. It can't be neglected that it's a state of emergency for those who are incarcerated as well. And so I wrote legislation because I don't have time to write research papers. 
I have the only mass incarceration mental health bill in the country. Because I'm very clear that our mental health is detrimental to reducing recidivism. address it now it's never going to get addressed we're at a critical pivotal point in this country where we are grappling with COVID and a disease and, and, and a virus that has been leashed on the entire world and within a matter of three days Europe, Canada and the United States said mental health is a state of emergency so get that it's definitely a state of emergency for incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people. And if we address mental health, we can reduce recidivism, we can increase productivity, and we can put families back together, not only in prison, but out of prison too. Because unfortunately, as minorities, we live in a don't ask, don't tell military policy. And this is why we are so fragmented. successful transition looks different for everybody because we all come home with different with different support systems um and so for me you know reentry coming home looks successful because i knew that i was broken and i acknowledged that i could not fix myself and and that's what i agree with brock you have to come to terms with yourself that you need help and I knew I needed help. So I sought therapy. And for me, um, I don't believe in medication. So, you know, I went to talk therapy. I ride horses. You know, there's all forms of therapy. And I believe that every last one of them are viable for us to be whole. And I believe that there's no one size fit all box to be successful. But for me, it's therapy. For me, it's meditation. For me, it's yoga. It's riding horses. It's going swimming. Um, and it's everything that gives me clarity. And so anything that can help me make a better decision looks like therapy. And so I'm very non-traditional. I'm out of the box on my healing. 
as well as everybody else's. A textbook cannot heal you. So, you know, you have to take the steps to want to heal yourself and know that other people will, will aid you on your journey of healing. That's what's up. Hey, uh, Brock, you got any feedback on that or you want to uh, go to, you want me to go to the next question because uh, I want to make sure you get in your thoughts and uh, these questions are for, for specific. If not, I'll go to the next no, next question's fine. I'm, I'm really good with everything she just said. Uh, uh, medication, as you know, from uh, knowing me for a long time, is something that I'm totally against because I, I think that America is a, is a drug addict society. We teach kids from birth to take uh, baby aspirin and, and cold, baby cough syrup when we know that there's no cure for the common cold and it's really just bad symptoms of a headache. So, um, I'm totally against medication as a whole and all of the, the holistic ways that she discussed, I, I think they're important, especially since the majority of the prison population comes in with drug problems from the start. Well, uh, well don't get me started because, you know, I must, I must think about the pharmaceuticals. You know, that's how they get their money. So, you know what I mean? There's always going to uh, be a cure where there's nothing necessary. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, water. You know, as a woman who has re-entered society from incarceration, how would you describe your own transition? Because you spoke on how everyone's transition looks different. So how would you describe yours? Because it seems like you were able to, you know, bounce back pretty well. And I'm looking at you now. And uh, for me, that's a model, if you ask me. You know what I'm saying? For anybody. So uh, tell us about that. Um, I'm a daily bounce back. Because, um, you know, I, I tell people um, I'm a good chameleon. I, I mask myself and I, I act as if until I get there. Because I still have problems with interpersonal relationships. I still have problems with confined spaces. I still have problems with, I have trust issues. Um, and prison did all that. Like, I wake up at 4.30 like it's clockwork. And that's, that's, that's horrible. Um, you know, the remnants of prison are forever there, but I daily strive to push through and be a better person and know that, you know, for all intended purposes, I'm going to make life better for myself so I can model to other young women and girls and, and formerly and incarcerated people that we are not the thing that happened to us. Our legacy will not be that we are convicted felons or formerly incarcerated, that's not going to be our legacy. So Philip, for me, you know, um, it made it easier because I had a place to live. It made it easier because um, I had a cushion where I had money saved up. Guess what? Everybody doesn't have that. And, and, and it's funny, as I say to myself all the time, Thank God I robbed a bank and I wasn't a person who was on drugs because I would I would have failed out because there was no help from other people and that's honest. All my help came from myself. Like I had to will myself, and it worked. But I know that you know everybody doesn't have the same support system, and everybody doesn't have the same 
tenacity. But you know what I do know? That I know that everybody, it's possible. It is possible. Um, and I want to stay with like-minded people like you guys to create better opportunities in spaces so people don't have to come home neglected without the things they need to be the best version of themselves. I've got a question. Would you be interested in addressing the issues that women encounter when they get out of prison? You know, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man and I'm in a man's facility, uh, the programs that I created are geared towards men. But women's, women's issues and women's problems are different. And I know yes. that a transitional housing setting for women is probably a difficult situation as well. Yes, it is. But it, in the future, I mean, and, and maybe we can exchange uh, information. I'd Absolutely. like to get some information on how to best address issues that deal with women as, as I go forward in revising rep. Absolutely, because women are the least likely to be thought about. And I've asked all over the country, why is that? And they said, because we never meant for women to go to prison. So we never wrote rules for women. And so women are in prison as the same standard as men, but with less resources and less attention to their problems and causes. Currently, right now, the women in Huron Valley in, in Ypsilanti, Michigan, are suffering. They have black mold in their prison and the women are being violated and sexually assaulted even after the, uh, the one of the largest payouts in history. But guess what? Nobody, where are the sex traffickers screaming for the women who are being raped in prison? Where is the humane society when the women are being abused? I mean, you know, in my book, Philip can tell you, I talked about parole officers. And if someone can tell you they'll violate your parole if you do not give them your human flesh, what, what do we call that in America? Because I'm still clear that, first of all, minority women are disrespected. And three-fifths of a human has to be addressed. And we have to go back and amend that clause in the Constitution. Wow. I wanted to just say have a like mind but not solved and we have answers um the community you know what i'm saying the community of individuals who fight these fights so you're supposed to uh each one reach one and uh assist each other because it's a hard fight and it's not enough people out here trying to fight it so i appreciate that i'm glad y'all you know gonna connect and um hopefully you know we can work together we already we already doing that but uh that brings me to uh a question that I think we'll sum it all up too, is that what can we do as advocates to lead the charge? And as far as policy change and implementation, how do we organize around nationwide uniformity? Because we need it, we need it all over the country, not just in one state or another. So I hope I didn't give y'all too much of a question at once, but if you can uh, sum it up and bring it all together, I appreciate that. But that's for both of y'all. Well, I'll let my sister go first. I want to create a collective. I want to create a collective because we work in we work in silos, and it's amazing people doing amazing work around the country. But what I really want to highlight 
tonight is Brock and Philip. Hat off to you. Because what America is not clear is that the best advocates are behind the wall. And your voices are not silent. And you make me work harder and you make me want to fight longer and more efficiently because you fight. And I salute you. Because guess what? I wouldn't want to be anywhere other than fighting with you guys. And I think if we are clear that the activists on the inside and the activists on the outside have one message in solidarity, we could change the entire globe. I appreciate that. And what she said about a collective is, is, is right on. And you know how I, I think about that. I think that it's important that we have all these various groups across the country. Here, particularly in Washington State, we probably, we've got more groups dealing with reentry than I can count. But they are all scattered and they are all doing different things. And, and when you're not unified, you're not effective. So I think that it's important for, for all of the, the, the advocates around the country to come together in a meeting of the minds or, or a summit, if you will, and put together a program that we know contains all the components necessary for a successful reentry into society, not just for people in prison getting out, but for individuals on the streets thinking about getting into crime or who have already gotten into crime or drugs. Or, as my sister spoke about, women who are being used, abused, and, and trafficked. So, creating that program and issuing it all across the country in, 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 in every jurisdiction, I think it's important that we all get behind one plan one program that we know works and push it all across the country in every state and every jurisdiction because then we know that we got a quality program that's reaching everybody in the country and that when everybody takes it and and succeeds in it that we're going to have an impact not just here in the state of Washington but across the country uh, um, you have 60 seconds remaining before it goes off, as you know, when I first came to this state, Washington State was 300% over capacity. We had 21,000 prisoners. But through a, the various reentry programs and all of the things that we've done here through legislation, now they got 6,000 open beds because black folks aren't coming back to prison when they get out. They're staying on the streets. They're starting organizations. They're working jobs. They're trying to deal with... You have 30 seconds remaining. Hey, everybody. Um, I just wanted to say, go to my website, Grant Parole to Philip, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-O-L-E-T-O-P-H-I-L-L-I-P.com. And scroll down, you'll see a link to donate for my legal fees. As I'm in need of a criminal attorney, um, I also have another link to donate to my GoFundMe for mental health expenses. Thank everybody for your support. And thank everybody for the love they've been showing me. I appreciate it. And um, God willing, 
you know, it'll make a difference and I'll be home soon. Hey, Brock, so what you were talking about is a coalition. That's what Team Phillip is all about. That's our mission statement. That's what we do. That's how come, you know, we've been reaching out across the country and we have a lot of people lined up who wants to help with this whole, this incredible work um, that's needed. Because like you said, if we can curb recidivism all over the country, then we reduce the population of prison, therefore putting these people out of business. So I'm going to um, close out. We got one question left for the both of y'all. Um, and this is uh, the question for what y'all was just asking about. How does one contact or reach either of you for more information or if they would like to donate or partner with you in this much-needed work? Um, that's for both of y'all. Whoever wants to go first, ladies first, you can tell us, Tawana or Brock, whoever. But that, that put that out there because people need to get a hold of you so that they can um, uh, benefit from your program and the things that you're doing out there in the world. Absolutely. Um, you can reach me at Silent org. that's s-i-l-e-n-t-c-r-y-i-n-c.org or you can reach me on um instagram at silent cry new york you can reach me on facebook at shawana irina vaughn and you can email me at silent cry inc at gmail all right uh the the most the easiest way to get in contact with me would be at uh, my email address, Brock Whitman, that's B-R-O-C-Q-W-H-I-T-M-A-N at gmail.com, or you can log on to JPay and reach me direct here at the prison. Uh, my number is 855668. Uh, we're at Airway Heights Correction Center in Washington State. I want, to, uh, I want to thank both of y'all again for giving your profound insights. I know a lot of people will hear something that may benefit either them or their loved ones. Um, y'all are powerful voices. Continue to do the work that you're doing. You know, I got a mental health program. Uh, episode is coming up next week. Um, we was talking a lot about mental health, so I might have to get y'all back, you know, because uh, y'all was talking about exactly what, what the next show is about. So that's another wrap of the wall behind and beyond. Um, again, stay tuned. Check us out. We're talking about real issues. Um, and uh, and I wanted to tell um, Brock and Shawana before I go, uh, the technical difficulties is not a problem. We got Chris out there. He's an extraordinary, you know, producer and editor. You know what I mean? It's going to sound good, I'm sure. He's going to do his best. So don't worry about the technical glitches. We got that covered. When it come out, we're going to spread it out far and wide, and everybody's going to be getting at y'all, trying to figure out how they can work with y'all. Have a good night from the walls, behind and beyond.